The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Feel it coming in the air. Yeah. And the screams from everywhere. Yeah. I'm addicted to the thrill. I'm ready. It's a dangerous Stop. love affair. Can't be scared when nickels down. Got a problem, tell me Stop. now. Only thing that's on my mind is who gonna this town Welcome to Carmi Lasseter Sports Talk Radio, Phoenix, Arizona. Beautiful Tuesday morning. A little humid here today, but uh, we'll take it. Alex Clancy, Deborah Debris in studio. Kwame should be calling in a little bit later. Uh, a lot to talk about. Uh, first, Deb, you've been gone for the past two weeks. How's everything going? I have been. Busy, busy, busy. Uh, got my book done. Hallelujah. Finally, Average is an Addiction from Mediocre to Millions. You can pick it up on Amazon. Um, also, go out to my fa- uh, fan page, Deborah Debris fan page. Uh, there's a link out there for uh, an event I'm going to be speaking at this weekend. Also, Larry Wingett, Suzanne Evans, and a lot of experts. You can actually get it live, live streamed. So go out to my fan page. It's called Hell Yeah X. And uh, check it out, people. That's awesome. Proud of you. Good, good things. Lots to talk about. Uh, first, I wanted to send a congratulations to my best friend, Jake Scannell, for getting married this past weekend. Uh, Zoe, you guys, it was a fantastic wedding, and it was a perfect weekend all around. Okay, um, lot to talk about. Two main topics that I'd like to talk about uh, this week with some sub-stories that, that we can get into after. Phil Mickelson winning the, the Open Championship in amazing fashion. People are saying that it could be one of the best final rounds in golf history, especially uh, with regards to majors. And then the whole steroid thing coming to a head in Major League Baseball. So many, so many subplots to this, and and we'll get into them uh, as the hour goes along. First off, Phil Mickelson finishes three under, has a three-stroke win uh, at Muirfield, and uh, this is how Phil wins majors. He comes out of nowhere. He Phil is one of the most death-defying uh, golfers on the tour. He's, he's very hot and cold. He hits miraculous shots. If they work out for him, he wins majors. If they don't, he finishes out of the top ten. That's kind of been his M.O. from day one. He has a fantastic game around the green. And, that, you know, it's the storied tale of him having a green and, and, a, and a sand trap in his backyard from whatever age it started. Birdied four out of the last six holes, shot a 66. Only three out of the top 20 finishers shot in the 60s. In the final round, him having the best score, Ian Poulter shooting a 67 was second best, who tied for third. Wow. You know, his game is not really catered to uh, the British Open. Well, the Open, I guess, Open yeah, Championship now. Yeah. So the Lynx course, you know, the things like that, uh, people think that because he played in the Scottish Open the week before and won that, in again, in miraculous fashion, with, with a chip on 17 or 18, I believe, maybe it helped him get acclimated to, to the course. I mean, I don't really think there really is that big of a difference. You know, it's either you know how to play Lynx courses or you don't, and that's why you show up early and practice on the course before uh, before the actual tournament starts. But well, I, don't, I think part of this comes with a level of maturity, too, that he's starting to realize that there are some courses where you have to 
um, adjust your game to fit the course because the course isn't going to change. Um, and he started to slow down and be a little more poised than normal and actually play moment to moment. And uh, that worked really well for him. Yeah, it was great. You know, he uh, he just has that confidence. I don't know where it goes. I don't know, I don't know what, what it's uh, buried under. But when it comes back, he's just the old Phil Mickelson that, that won all the tournaments. Even even though it took him a long time to win his first major in, in, with uh, Tiger Woods winning all the majors before him. But I'm happy for the guy. You know, he has the... Uh, he has the career grand slam, and he's he's cemented himself as one of the best golfers of all time. You have to win all four to be cemented as that, in one, in my opinion. Well, it's great to see all the other players that were so happy for him as well. And then you take his caddy, who's been with him like 21 years, who was just, I mean, ecstatic. Um, and, you know, even the caddy was saying this is the best Phil's ever played. Uh, family knew when you looked at the uh, conversations that the media had with his wife, that uh, with Phil's wife. And her comments were, you know, this this was the one. You know, this is the one that really at this point in time in their lives really meant so much to Phil. And uh, with all that pressure and expectations that he puts on himself, he still pulled it out. Absolutely. And and I bring this up almost every week is once you make so much money in your career, which he's set for life, his grandkids, his grandkids, grandkids are set for life. The money's not an issue anymore. Is the drive still there? And you could show through this win that it absolutely is. Absolutely, and, especially and, the comeback, too, from the weeks before. And, you know, it's it's interesting that people, and including me, have said that family's always been first for Phil. Mm-hmm. Family's always been first, and that's why him and Tiger are very separate, because Tiger's life was golf, and obviously his family life uh, went into shambles because of that and because of all the traveling and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But Phil Mickelson's played five more tournaments than Tiger this year. So you can tell that he's, his ability to balance his family with traveling and doing all those things is is really a monumental task that he's executing nicely, and you can tell by the wins that he has. He's uh, he's fourth in the FedEx Cup right now, FedEx Cup standing, and he's showing that you can do both. You know, you can be super hand man and you can be Clark hand, and you can. Yeah, he can actually go have some fun and relax, which is what he did. And uh, you know, actually, I think he did some river rafting or something. I don't remember exactly what it was, but to chill out a little bit before he started coming into this tournament, and it worked for him. Everybody knows what – everybody has to know what it is that they need to do in their downtime in order to be ready to play on game day. Absolutely. Uh, no movement in the top ten of the FedEx Cup. Tiger Woods is still number one in the world. He's still number one in the FedEx Cup. He's played nine tournaments, four wins, five top tens. So this is really a juxtaposition of who is – the best golfer in the world, and who shows it week in and week out, especially in majors. Now, how important are majors really when it comes to showing the best player in the world? And because there's been so much parity in the top, uh, you know, the top five of every major in recent history since Tiger won in 2008, there's not one clear best player since 2008. It's the field. It's always been, do you take Tiger or do you take the field? And the field's been crushing it in the past five years. It's just that... What we experienced from 97 to 2008 even, you know, let's just say till Thanksgiving of the the two iron or whatever it was. Yeah. (laughs) That wasn't what golf fans were accustomed to before that. That's that's superhuman. What was what Tiger Woods was doing. And that was focus. And I I, well, you know, take it for whatever it was. I mean, I'm sure that. The mental capacity that Tiger had and the mental capacity that Jack Nicholas had are one and the same. I just feel like that Tiger had that extra special something that literally nobody else has had in golf history. 
So we were spoiled with that, and then now we're, we, we go back to kind of the, the meddling, whoever's going to win the tournament's going to win the tournament, and Tiger's always going to be there. Well, and then we thought Rory McIlroy was coming up, and then he's collapsed, and you know it's just an interesting way to see how golf has moved from the Tiger air to, um, I think the question starts to become, who's the best golfer in the world on Thursday and Friday, which is probably Tiger, yeah. but we take Saturday and Sunday, not so much. Yeah, and then you have Lee, uh, Lee Westwood, who <laughs> has been in the lead or in contention for so many majors over the years. I think he was number one in the world at one point. He's, he's been top five in recent history, for recent history, and he just doesn't perform on Sundays. Shot a 75 uh, yesterday or two days ago. And when I saw him at the top of the leaderboard, I'm like, well, he's not going to be in contention on 16, 17, and 18. He just won't be. That's just not how he's made. He's made boatloads of money as well, but the mental capacity that he has is outmatched by everybody else in contention in the field. Right. So I just don't understand where the disconnect is there, but that's always been his Achilles heel. It's always been, well, Lee Westwood is not somebody that we have to worry about come crunch time, come the back nine of the, of the final round of a major. But the problem is that's the same way he's thinking. Is his ex- expectations of himself well, he's have, right. have lowered? <laughs> yeah, because he keeps repeating the same old pattern over and over again. So you know, I'll go back to the book title: "Average is an Addiction." You know, when you start having those repetitive patterns of thoughts, feelings, and beliefs as far as what is going to happen on those last few holes, then it becomes a repetitive pattern, and it takes a lot to break that. But what is average on a supreme level, on the ultimate level, as the PGA Tour? Like, what is average? Well, he's it, he's made. Upwards probably of $100 million in his career. Right. So how is well, that? You always have to look at average within your peer group because at every level there's average. There's always a top, middle, and bottom. So within his peer group, he has to look at where is he because if he's in the bottom, then people don't really have to worry about him at all because he's going you know, to eliminate himself, as are the other golfers that are in the bottom. If you're in the middle, that's the worst place to be. That's the danger zone because there you're expendable. Yeah, no, but that's the fair. The top is the top, and the goal is to always get to the top and learn how to stay there. Do you think that Stevie Williams and Tiger alike regret the fight and the dismissal of each other from their lives and from their professional uh, workspace? Adam Scott, yes, did win a major. He got the hot putter, and you can see over history that just like in hockey, you have a hot goalie through the Stanley Cup Finals. In a golf tournament, if you are the the guy that's putting hot. You have a great chance of winning a tournament. Look at Phil on on the on the last six holes of of last week and Tiger since 2008 saying, "Oh, I wasn't putting well. I wasn't putting well. I hit good shots. I wasn't putting well." Well, here's my answer to that. Do they regret it? I don't know if they do or not. Should they? No, because once the once the once the once they parted companies, then you've got to move on. And if they stay in the regret of the fact that you know I coulda, shoulda, woulda, then they're screwed with what they're doing right now. So would they have been a better team if they stayed together? Possibly. I mean, that's, that's very possible. But should they regret it? And are they regretting it? Mm, they shouldn't, are they, potentially? Yeah. And you know, if it is, it's screwing up what they're doing. And Adam Scott, bless his heart, on the biggest putt of his life, he gave credit to Stevie Williams for the Masters. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, and, and that is such a huge jump from where Stevie was either the scapegoat or he was, it was Tiger. Tiger was, I mean, people that knew golf knew who Stevie Williams was, but now they really do with Adam Scott because he is almost more famous than Adam Scott is and through the whole fallout and through his comments, which were right. choice, I yes. guess, and books, and- books, everything, yeah. everything that he's made for himself, he can thank Tiger for. Absolutely. I just do think that 
if there's one person's fault, it would be Tiger's. And I go back probably on what I said a few years ago. He fired the best golf coach in golf, Butch Hartman, and now who is with Phil Mickelson. And he fired the best caddy, supposedly, in golf. So I think that because he felt so alone as as it was with the whole thing that happened with his ex-wife, I think that that was just... Get, I need to start fresh, and starting fresh isn't necessarily always a good thing. Right. Because he lost everything that everybody knew about him in his inner circle. Well, he lost all of his anchors. Yeah. Anything and anybody that would anchor him into what he was doing and how he was playing at that point in time, it's like I wash my hands, I get rid of it all, and I'm going to start over, and hasn't done so well. And I, you know, it, well, he's won tournaments. I mean, he well, won three won out of the first four tournaments. not where he used to be. For everybody else yeah. on the planet... Oh, he'd be he would ha- he, this would be a career year, right. and that's so unfair that we that we hold higher, Tiger to a higher standard. We're mm-hmm. still thinking, but it's not because he put himself on that pedestal, and rightfully so. So if you're going to put yourself up there, then you're going to be held to that standard from that point yeah, on. Yeah, 25 year old Tiger, not 37 year old Tiger, with you're all the stuff that he's gone, all the energy, all the all the injuries, and all the things that really he's. But you still should learn, still should be able to know how to close out a tournament. I mean, that's, At any age. I mean, that's fair. But yeah. in Tiger's 14-1, when having tied for the lead or the lead going into majors, he's never won if he wasn't tied at least tied for the lead. So there's something that says if you're the best golfer in the world, you should be able to come back from a two-stroke, uh, a two-stroke deficit. deficit going into the final round. That's just – and he just he's never done that mm-hmm. ever, ever, ever. That doesn't make any sense to me. There's a song like that. Ever, ever. Yeah, I, you know what? I'm not. I'm not too hip with the times now. I've, <laughs> I've been stuck with the Mumford and Stevie Wonder for the past six months. But uh, having said all that, um, things will be fun at home tonight. On the other side of the break, we're <laughs> going to talk about how Tiger might be full of crap, and I'll tell you why I think Ooh, that. Uh, on the other side of the break, Kwame Lasseter, Sports Talk. We'll be back in a minute. Can't wait. flagship station for sports voice america sports the job of a professional athlete is never complete in life after the game host lamar campbell will take an inside look at how athletes are making the transition from the professional athletics world to the professional business world you'll understand the goals motivations and personalities that drive these players off the field and in their post-professional career tune in to life after the game with lamar campbell Every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Sports and medicine go hand in hand. Quite simply, if you aren't up to your game health-wise, you won't be up to your game on the field. That's where Bruce the Sports Doc comes in. Dr. Bruce Grossinger uses his medical training and experience to bring you a link between sports and medicine. From the latest advances and treatments to discussion behind the injuries of the week, Bruce the Sports Doc and his team of guest experts are here each week to lay it on the line in terms that you can understand. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Welcome back to Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk Radio Show. Deborah Debris, Alex Clancy in studio. Still waiting to see if Kwame will call in. 
If not, we're holding it down all right right now. We were talking about Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, the Open Championship, and all the subplots surrounding it. What I did want to talk about, what I teased before the break, was how I feel like Tiger Woods is full of crap. And what I mean by that is ever since 2008 when he won the U.S. Open, after every tournament seemingly, he always says that I'm almost there. I hit really good shots today. I, the putter, I'll blame it on the greens, that I couldn't read the greens well enough. And it's been like a stencil for every post-game, quote-unquote, interview that he's had, depending on which round. And it it's ridiculous at this point. You haven't won Jack that of importance, and we're going back to Tiger being on a pedestal. Take tournaments away. He hasn't won a major in five years. Take the injuries away, so he was out for a little bit, a little while. But he, how can you be very pleased with the way you're playing? How can you be very happy with your ball striking ability after every round and not winning one major? You shoot a 73 or 74 on the final round uh, uh, this past weekend, and you're happy with how you played? The old Tiger would not have been happy with how he played. He would have been throwing clubs. He would have been tin cup breaking clubs. He would have been doing things that he doesn't do now at his older age, but he still believes that he's almost there. You should have been almost there two years ago if you were almost there, in my opinion. Well, I don't think he even believes that he's almost there. I think he's saying words in order to do what he has to do with the media in order to go off and pout or do whatever he needs to do to get over it. Uh, the problem is he never gets over it. If you look at his body language on the course, I mean, he was not a happy camper. Um, his facial expression, um, his shoulders, um, it, it changed the flexibility and the movement of his hips, which moved, you know, which changed his shots. I mean, his walking pattern, I mean, he wasn't, he didn't have that normal rhythm that he would have when he's playing like Tiger. Um, so he's just plain forgotten who he is. Yeah, and it's funny that the thing that made him might also be the thing that breaks him in regards to his social skills and social uh, interaction with other people and the ability to feel anything and tell people about it instead of putting a mask up, which we'll allude to a little bit later. Uh his dad made him a golf robot. That's that's exactly what happened. Didn't have girlfriends. Didn't have really good close friends. Golf course, golf clubs, that was it from the age of three. And that made him into the amazing, ridiculous golfer that he was and still has uh, remnants of in his career now. But even when he talks to people now, you can see that there's something lacking in his life. Maybe it's mental toughness. Maybe it's things like that. But I really think it has to do with the foundation of how his life was planned out for him as opposed to him being able to make mistakes as a child and, and get find his own calling as opposed to just being made into a golf well, robot. Well, I think the key word that you used there was robot. And robots don't have feelings. They do what they're supposed to do, when they're supposed to do it, as they're being told to do, and then they do it again. And when you're a robot without feelings, you, you lose connection. And without connection, which is one of the greatest human needs that we have, then you're right. The social abilities aren't there. The skills aren't there, uh, which means he is lacking in his life. He's lacking um, both on the course and off the course with that connection because connection goes beyond human connection. It's also having the um, connection with the club, the connection with the golf course, the ability to really know and feel and have that intuitiveness to do what you know that you're capable of doing but you aren't doing. And when that comes up, then you go into suffering, which is what I see he's going, on, going through right now, and you cannot play good golf or do anything else in life when you're suffering. Absolutely, and I feel like that also has something to do with why he let Stevie Williams go and why he let Butch Harmon go, because there was no real sit-down, in my opinion, no real sit-down be like, let's work this out. It's This isn't working. I don't really feel like 
I feel like I'm going to blame you because I'm Tiger Woods, so I'm going to move into a different direction. And obviously it hasn't worked for Tiger. Well, and I think that part of it was the the outward blame, but at the same thing I think there was an inward um, – potentially there could have been an inward feeling of you remind me. You know, you remind me of things the way they were, and they're not that way. So if you remind me of all that day to day and I'm trying to clear my mind, I'm going to get rid of you. And the reality is mm, doesn't really matter how many things or people or, you know, I've seen guys try to get rid of golf clubs and everything else because they think the club is the problem when the reality is it has nothing to do with the club. It has to do with their inner game um, and how they're utilizing the club or the people in our lives as well. Absolutely. So after we have Down and Dirty with Deborah right now, and after that we're doing Major League Baseball steroids and the whole stories uh, and the subplot. So Deborah, Down and Dirty, get it. Down and Dirty with Deborah. I want to talk about the masks that we wear. And there's a quote, and I love this movie, but there's a quote that was in Tropic Thunder where it was, I'm a dude playing a dude disguised as another dude. It was Robert Downey Jr. Jr.'s character, uh, Kirk Lazarus. And to me, I looked at that. Whenever I first heard it the first time, I went, wow, that really describes so many people that we put on so many masks to really hide you know, people don't want to be seen, they don't want to be heard, and they definitely don't want to expose their weaknesses. So they figure out what masks they have to wear in certain situations in order to um, not be found out. You know, there's a mask for the media, a mask for family and in relationships, a mask for when you go out and party with your friends, another mask for when you're with your team members. And the problem is you get to the point, just like we were talking about a minute ago, is you start forgetting who you are. And when you start forgetting who you are, it's hard for anybody to get to know you. It's hard for you to even remember who you are. And at that point, I don't care if you're an ath- um, you know, an athlete, an entertainer, if you're a business person, relationships, husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriends, parents, children. When we start masking over who we are, then you know we end up um, getting to the point that we lose our morals, we lose our values, and we actually lose our power. You know, I talked about the greatest human need. The greatest human need, one of them is connection, to be able to connect with other people, but also to be able to connect with ourselves. And when we have those masks on, we can no longer find ourselves in order to connect, in order to be in our greatest power. Tiger, we talked about, you know, we looked at, you know, what is it that he says? Well, I'm doing fine. Yeah, everything's fine. Not a problem. He doesn't really believe that. You know, yeah, he's doing fine on Thursday and Friday, but he's not doing fine whenever it really means the most. Um, his body language, holy man, when I was watching him, you could see it in his facial expression, the shoulders dropping, you know, the hips, the hands, you know, everything, the hand to the face, um, even pulling his head down and hiding his face at times, almost as if in shame. I mean, all of that has meaning to it, and it's meaning to him. I don't care about what it means to me. It's what it means to him. And all of that is sending signals to his body of being some sort of failure or whatever words he might put to it. Um, And then what we don't know is we know the outward words that he's using. We don't know what he's saying to himself. And what we say to ourselves is so important. I mean, I do – I've stood in front of a group of football players and within five uh, five minutes had them close their eyes, relax – just took them into a very light state of relaxation, had them to the point where they couldn't open their eyes. I mean, I'd tell them, you know, one, two, three, open your eyes, and they could not open your eyes. Now, these were two 300-pound guys, and I did it within less than five minutes. 
that's how powerful our words are. Then we had a discussion around the fact that if I could do that to you in that short a time, think about what you can do to yourself with the words that you say. Because your body, your mind, your emotions, they respond to our words. So we've got to be careful what we say to ourselves. As we look at what I consider to be an epidemic in people is um, the fact that we keep dancing around. We're not honest. We're not honest with ourselves. We're not honest with our friends or family or our team, and because of that, we're hurting ourselves. We see guys that are using steroids, getting arrested, the drugs, the drunken driving, and that could be, again, it could be across the board. I mean, we sports and entertainment tend to be uh, in the limelight, but look at any business situation. You know, look in your family. Look at your children. You know, how are they hiding out? How are you hiding out and not being honest with yourself or with those that matter to you? Because if you stay in that state, if you don't really recognize who you are and take the mask off so you can be in your true power, speak the words that make you strong. You know, be, don't be afraid to say, I need some help here. Um, and I don't care if that's help. Can you help me hold the board up that I'm, you know, nailing up on the side of the house? Or can you help me because I'm in pain right now? We have to be able to learn to speak and talk about how we feel and what it's going to take in order to really be our true and honest self. Deborah Debris, yourclearedge.com, at Deborah underscore Debris on Twitter. Uh, tr- yeah, Deborah underscore Debris on Twitter. Ha, call me, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo! Uh, and then Deborah, D E B O R A H D U B R E E on uh, Facebook or Facebook fan page and uh, also on Amazon. <laughs> Get it. That's awesome. I'm proud of you. That's Thanks, great. Dude. Yeah. Now, having said all of that, how much of the masking has to do with not showing, uh, not 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 appearing to be weak? And Kwame, if he was sitting right here right now, would have asked that question. Absolutely. Because it's next man up. That's his. That should be his book title. And we mm-hmm. talked about that. <laughs> if you show weakness, then oh, you're out. And the next guy's in. Period. So then you're a commodity. Then what's the balance between the two? The balance between the two is understanding who you are so you can be strong and be able to call on that strength any time in any place. That's well, the balance. When Rory McIlroy was interviewed about his – after his second round, I think, he pretty much said that he was lost, that, that he had right. no idea what he was doing on the course anymore. He had lot, lost his mental focus right. and now he's looked at as a non-issue in the golf world. Because he didn't do never, anything about it. Well, and it I, wasn't and, the admission of it. It was the fact that he didn't do anything to resolve it. And he's also being exposed as a child now because he is. Because we're used to Tiger Woods being 19 years old, 20 years old, just wrecking the field and being, being mentally robot. tough and doing all that. And this yeah. is actually a kid that is going through – I'm sure Justin Rose and Adam Scott and all these guys from the other side of the pond have, have dealt with – because we don't know them as well as we know Tiger, obviously. Right. But now – Finally, Adam Scott broke through and won a major. And Rory won it too early, just based on his talents, but that was after shooting an 80 in the final round at the Masters. Right. So you have this prog- natural progression of things. But Tiger didn't uh, uh, didn't subscribe to that, and now you see uh, Rory, who actually did, and now he's falling apart. He'll build himself up, but the weakness level from him uh, explaining to everybody that he has no idea what he's doing out there, that's like something I would say if I was on the tour. But that's, but the thing is what I'm trying to say is that that's okay to admit it if you do something about it. Just simply admitting it isn't going to make a difference. It's a, it's a start. The first thing you have to do is to admit it, but then you have to say, if I'm weak, 
where am I weak, exactly and specifically, where do I need help, and what is the help that I need? What's the end result that I need to achieve? And then figure out how do you get from where you are to where you want to be. And that's the gap that needs to be filled in. In my opinion, you do that behind closed doors. I'm fine with that. You do. I mean, because this is this is him really reaching out to anybody that can help him and be like, yo, I need help. I don't know what is going on in my brain. It's probably Wozniak. He probably has something to do with it, his relationship. Okay, That's so, being long distance. These things, are, these things are undervalued in the mental aspect of a professional athlete who's supposed to be you know, mentally strong all of the time. So let me, let me give you an example. LeBron James. He was not doing really well a few years ago. I mean, everybody was, was, and rightfully so, you know, picking on him and telling him, and he was making excuses and everything else. He needed help. He went and got help. He went to the other players that he knew that were strong and were capable. And my guess is he went to multiple players, from what I understand. And he, I'm guessing, if he was smart about it, <clears throat> he looked at the greatest strength in each one of those players in order to draw information from them and then take that information in and decide, what does that mean to me and how am I going to use that and make it his own? Not to mimic them. Not to mirror them or copy them, but to learn from them as mentors and then make it his own. Rory has the same opportunity. He could go out to any of these major golfers, and I mean, again, they would look at him as a kid if he just said, I could use some help here. Can we just sit down and, you know, you, talk you, about this? You think it's a little different that it's a one-on-one -on -one sport and not a team sport? Because the, there's so much changing of teams in the NBA, NFL, MLB, all of them. Yeah, but see, I think LeBron went to the guys that are out of the league. I don't know if he went to guys in the league. He may have some, but I think he went mainly to guys that were out of the league that had been there, done that, knew what it was like, knew the pressure, knew what he was going through, and looked to them to mentor. Do you think that Jack Nicholas, Arnold Palmer, Gary Player, these old men who have went through it in a totally different era than mm. our Twitter sphere era that we're going through now, do you think they'd have the same wisdom to impart as the players that the NBA's pretty much stayed the same? Granted, the uh, NBA Finals used to be on tape delay. David Stern, bless his heart, changed that. And now it's pretty much the media coverage. If you go to Magic Johnson, he'll give you the same amount of information that, that Michael Jordan would have. And that because they were in big markets, they were the best players on their teams in big markets, I feel like it's different in golf because you... Jack Nicholas hasn't been relevant in 20 years. So it's, it's really, I think that there's a gap there, but I mean, that's my personal opinion. And that's why I think golf is different than other sports when trying to. But the human being is not different. Okay. The human being is not different. So he could go to, and he could go to somebody that's more relevant or more current that's, you know, just recently out or something along those lines if he needed to, or sports psychologist or whoever he needed to talk to. But when we talk about, when I look at things like Twitter and all those type of things, Facebook and you know everything else, that everything is immediately out there, is that an issue? Yes. These guys, guys and gals have got everybody in their face watching everything that they do. That's an issue. It's just another reason, an even bigger reason, that you better figure out who you are. There are some real stars, entertainment, in um, politics, in sports, that aren't nearly as affected by all of that as some of the others because they haven't let it affect them. They have gotten so clean and so clear about who they are that they stay away from all that and they just do what they need to do when they need to do it and then they go home. And most of them are older. They're, they're not 23, 24 years old. They've been through the, the embarrassment. Which is why you go to the people who have some knowledge. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's fair. Yeah. I, uh, it, it'll be interesting to see if he can come back. I know. mean, the bottom line is I don't accept excuses. That's really the bottom line to all this is... I understand the excuses. 
I've had a few myself over the years, no doubt. But when you find that you're in an excuse state, then you're simply denying yourself. You're not being honest with yourself as far as what's really going on, and then you go find a way to solve it. Yeah, so he has nowhere to go but up. He's already won two majors. He's still number two in the world. And Rory McIlroy is always very interesting to me because you never know what you're going to get. And you, well, you've known what you're going to get in the past, you know, few major important tournaments. Uh, his putter escapes him when the big part of the mental game really comes into it. The crux of the mental game of golf is: can you make a seven foot putt to save par to stay in contention? That's huge. I mean, you can always you, you fly a t- you fly a drive into the woods. You can always uh, save par. You can always, right. but you have to be able to make that putt at the end to. In my opinion, that is the biggest mental uh, part of golf. Well, and here's the thing. I mean, I've got an article out on my website where I looked at Rory a few years ago when he went from really screwing up to a few weeks later really coming back, where I break down even the, um, excuse me, tame and train the beast method of what I saw in him as far as the emotional change that he made on the golf course and his interaction with the fans. And he was having more conversation with his caddy. And when he was playing the game, as play, still professional, but actually enjoying himself out there and focused, that's when he really rose to the top. Yeah, and, you know, Phil was always looked at as the guy that folded. I mean, at winged foot mm. was, the, was the big one. Uh, he's, in his later years, what is he, 44 now? 43, 40, Something like 42? That, yeah. he's, he's, he's old for golf standards <laughs> mm-hmm. on, the, right. on the PGA Tour. Yeah. He learned. He, like he has solace now. All of the all the breast cancer and cancer in his family has subsided for now, hopefully right. forever. And he's able to have that mental state of mind where there are no excuses. Right. Where he's but I I envy him so much. Even though he I think he was voted as one of the most hated players on tour by the players. I think that was uh, many years ago. But you just see his smile and you see the love for the game that he has. Right. And maybe that's his mask. Maybe that's his his smile. He's got a goofy smile. You know, he's got a goofy walk. He's not sexy, quote unquote, at all with how he plays or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's his mask and that's how he gets through. And, you know, it, it just shows that he's calm throughout all of the important times. So let me make a comment to that. I mean, there is the term game face. And I do believe in a game face. Because there are times when I don't care if you're walking into a business meeting or you're standing across the guy, you know, the offense to the defense, and you're looking at some 315-pound dude across the line from you that's about ready to take you out, you better have your game face on. But at the same time, be honest about it. Know that at that point in time, I mean, my guys learn that there's a time on the sideline when you relax and build your resilience, and then there's a time when you're on the field, depending on what your position is. But let's say my offensive defensive players, they're looking to gear up. I mean, they're in pure dominance and, and you know, really powering up big time because it's situational. And in that situation, that's who they need to be. But they're still honest with who they are. They're honest about their play. You know, and they still do it their way. That's an interesting take. I'm glad that we're talking about this uh, uh, longer than I thought we were going to. This is good. Uh, we do have to take a break. On the other side of the break, steroids, money, touching with steroids, lifetime bans. We'll talk about our thoughts on it on the other side of the break. Kwame Lasseter, Sports Talk. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Do you love sports talk? Can't get enough sports talk? Have we got a show for you? It's about the NFL training camps. 
Super Bowl previews, a look at the new starting quarterbacks, and weekly key injuries. We'll take your calls and emails right on the air. Former Philadelphia Eagle James Loving is your host, and you never know who'll drop by for a co-host spot or an interview on the spot. Tune in to Loving That Sports Talk with James Loving every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Get ready to talk sports with the big guys. Tune in to Lockdown Coverage with Keith Lewis every Tuesday for the inside and outside of the business of sports. Keith and his guests will provide expert commentary and answer all of your burning questions about your favorite team, the players, and what's next. It's time to have fun with the game. Listen for Lockdown Coverage with Keith Lewis and his favorite co-hosts every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The talk doesn't get any hotter. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Now some of you might still be in that place. If you're trying to get out, just follow me. You can try and read my lyrics off this Welcome back to Kwame Lasseter Sports Talk Radio. Alex Clancy, Deborah Debris in studio. You can follow me at Clancy's Corner on Twitter at Deborah D E B O R A H underscore Dubree D U B R E E on Twitter, yourclearedge.com. Deborah Debris on Facebook. I mean you all you need is a Snapchat. I'm on, you'll, you'll, I'm, you'll on actually, I'm actually on billboards for um, what's the John C. Lincoln Hospital around the oh, town yeah? too. Yeah, <laughs> that's from the surgery on my knee that I uh, cut my rehab by uh, several weeks by using the same thing I do with my athletes to heal myself. You have the market cornered, seemingly. I'm telling you, I'm yeah, all over I, the place. I have to catch up. All You're right. just lucky to be in the studio with me. Well, uh, call me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Help me. Help me. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, Ryan Braun suspended the rest of the season for admitting to taking steroids, which we all knew he did. Uh, for those of you that forgot, he got off on a technicality, the only person to ever win an appeal, a steroid appeal that is, because the sample that he was that he gave to the courier was not delivered in the in the time that was necessary for it to actually be uh, correct. I guess I think it was either twenty four or forty eight hours. So he got off. He played the rest of baseball. And poor Arizona Diamondbacks fans, we faced the Milwaukee Brewers that year <laughs> and were ousted by them in the playoffs. So that has a little sort of sentiment to the state of Arizona. He copped a deal is what happened. So the uh, governing bodies of the major leagues will not expose exactly what he was caught for, what he was popped for exactly – and he will be suspended the rest of the year without pay. So that, I believe that's between, about three million. Yeah, three point two five. I yeah. believe is what it is. Now, everybody knew this was coming, and the funniest thing that he said was, "I realize that I did something wrong now. <laughs> give me, a, give me a break, kid." You know, I woke I mean, up in the morning. There was a flash of light, and it's like, "Oh yeah, man, I, I should I did tell do everybody wrong. what I did now as I get caught." All right. The biogenesis uh, situation will only grow. Alex Rodriguez is next. People are thinking about a lifetime ban for him. It's in it's it's in the conversation, and people are also reporting that Ryan Braun 
is nothing compared to Alex Rodriguez. And Ryan Braun, you know, he's he copped a deal, and now people are, are calling their agents, be like, hey, can I cop a deal so I don't get a lifetime ban from baseball? And it's so interesting to me that this is happening. And I believe there are two problems with this, two reasons why this is happening. First and foremost, there needs to be checks and balances in the major leagues. The Players Association has pretty much absolute power. As much as Players Associations go, they have the strongest collective bargaining agreement, the most ironclad in favor of the players. You get paid every cent of your contract, regardless of injury or steroid use, which bothers me to the to the nth degree. <laughs> if you cheat, you do not get paid. This is a dis- this is a disservice for all of the other players that made it up organically, that made it up through the ranks by hard work and determination, and and separating themselves by their natural God given. Uh, ability as opposed to a synthetic one mm. or ones that you know they were done in in, in an illegal mm. manner mm. and i can't believe that that's happening and i can't believe that this is still an issue the other reason why i believe that this is still an issue is because the records of mark mcguire barry bonds all these records that broke the real records from the 60s and 70s are honored they're glorified and these are all steroid laden Numbers and I do not understand why they're even on the Hall of Fame ballots. If Pete Rose isn't on the Hall of Fame ballot, they shouldn't be. Pete mm-hmm. Rose didn't cheat. Pete Rose was a gambler. He's a gambler that right. had nothing to do with his ability on the field. Mm-hmm. People might say that you know he might shave points, but I don't think he even bet on his own games. So I don't really understand why if he's not on the ballot, then these guys should be. Barry Bonds should have to pay back his last ten years of his contract. And I I think that my thesis of this whole argument is that if you cheat. Your contract is void, and you are released from your from the team. If not having an all time a ban forever from baseball. Well, that's the thing. We look at not only what is the player done to themselves, what are they doing to the league, and what are they doing to their families, who don't deserve all this. So they make a really, really bad decision, and don't fess up to it until they're caught, and then they want to play. Let's make a deal. Um, and I agree with you to have a blank check. I mean, that's just plain outrageous. You know, where in any other industry um, throughout the country is that ever done? You know, I'm going to pay you no matter what. Doesn't matter. You can screw up. You can come in, not come in. Doesn't matter. You're going to get paid. With the family, the, I somewhat agree with you with the media coverage and all of that nonsense that, that, that comes through with the actual families themselves, which I think is unfair. But they're set for life monetarily in most cases. Alex Rodriguez, it doesn't matter if he doesn't play baseball again. He's going to have $500 million in the bank. So really what's more important to most people, money or the lore of, of Major League Baseball history? Yes, their children Well, I feel who like have it, to go to school. Well, I feel like it will be the former, and I feel like in 20 mm. years nobody's going to know who Alex Rodriguez is. Right. So well, I think it depends be, on who you ask, the children, the wife, the girlfriend, <laughs> or well, the player. He's a serial yeah, he's a <laughs> Or serial the mom cheater. and dad I mean, who Alex have to go to church in the next day. and yeah. So I, I just don't. People that do things the right way, i.e. Derek Jeter, who's made all the money, who's lived through this, he's lived with so many players that have gone through the steroid thing, either personally or with other teammates, and he's never been touched. So it can be done. You can make a lot of money in baseball in other ways than hitting 50 home runs and and, uh, batting in 150 uh, people a year. There are other ways to make money in baseball, and it's... It's lost in the shuffle with all of these cheaters that still get paid and that still are a- a- among us. And I'm sure uh, so many people do steroids that don't get caught. 
because there's always a new strain that can't be tested for. Right. And until we, the, until scientists come up with a way to keep everybody clean, which probably will never happen, this will always be an issue. So, I mean, I, I really don't know what the end game is. I don't know what will happen in the future. But all you can do is knock out one big player at a time until people are so scared or go play in other countries where steroids aren't really an issue. Or make it in their, you know, set up the contracts in a way, going back to the money issue, set up their contracts in a way <clears throat> that if you're caught, you're gone. Yeah. You know, or if you're caught, you know, they're going to cut, cut the games and the money at the same time that, you know, you don't have guaranteed money. Right. And, and a common thread with these huge contracts is you take steroids for, look at Melky Cabrera. If he didn't get popped mm-hmm. last year, he would have had a $60 million contract at his doorstep. Oh, yeah. So you juice for one or two years. You, you get through all of the – maybe you get little hints of when the testing is going to be. You juice some pe- – you, you, you uh, slide some pe- – grease some people's hands, and you get that big contract. You stop taking it. You're set for life. Yeah, I mean, they're look, thinking it's worth it. And look at A-Rod. I mean, yes, granted, the, pa- the past couple years he's been – it's been obsolete with him on the field. He's, we haven't seen him. The years before that, he had great numbers, but he was probably still juicing then. But he got that $275 million contract, and now it doesn't matter what he does. And there might be a precedence for it now. He might be the, the quote-unquote scapegoat as if he didn't do anything wrong. Mm. But he might be the one that they throw the book at and say, you're never going to wear a uniform again. And I hope that happens. I hope that one person that was at once at the top of Major League Baseball gets the book thrown at him and gets to never wear a jersey again and maybe has to pay back two or three mm. years of their contract. But then I heard some questions. Um, I forgot what radio show I was listening to, but they were talking about – what happens if these guys get kicked out of the majors, but then they go to the, you know, go to the other leagues or they start going out and touring based on their name and start, you know, um, talking at camps and things like that? I mean, how do we stop idolizing these guys who are cheaters? You can't – for the ignorant fan, for say I'm mm. a diehard Yankee fan and I'll love him no matter what, mm. that's fine. They're in the minority in my opinion. Mm. When you see people are cheaters – you lose respect, some sort of respect, which is right. enough. You should. And if, if yeah. he goes to Japan and plays baseball, who cares? You know, that's not, we are very geocentric when it comes to that. Yeah. Manny Ramirez, who cares if he was playing in Turkey or playing wherever the hell he was playing before? Nobody focuses on that. Even Terrell Owens playing in the Canadian Football League, nobody cares. Unless you're playing in the NFL, Major League, NBA, you're, you're dead to us, quote unquote. So that'd right. be a win for Major League Baseball in the United States mm. and cheating if they're in a different country, right. in my opinion. One other topic that I did want to address is the major difference between Major League Baseball and steroids and the NFL and HGH. And what I mean by that is Major League Baseball, steroids equals cheating, right? Granted, mm-hmm. it makes you feel it – ma- it allows you to recover more from injuries, allows you to not get injured, allows you to have more strength, you know, yada, yada, et cetera, et cetera. The NFL with HGH is they sell the game more than the players so much – that they want the game to be as safe as possible. Take away the actual personal effects that the actual HGH has on the personal personalized person's body, but the pain that it can inflict on other players that causes injury is the main crux of their argument against HGH, which is a very interesting uh, argument that one, uh, the major leagues pushes the players and the big franchises, and the NFL pushes the NFL professional football as a whole. And that just intrigued me a little bit. I, I didn't well, then let's go back to the money issue on that. Well, <laughs> yeah. we look at the fact with the NFL, like you say, they push the game. They need the fans in. They're one of the biggest you know, draws in the country with all the other paraphernalia that they sell in that as well. Probably not the best word to use. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> the merchandising that they there have. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, I mean, to them, the player is not nearly as important because they've got other players coming up. They got the draft every year. They've got all the free agents coming in every year. So we go back to the, you know, if you're not playing at the right standard, you're out. The next guy's in and we don't care. We're going on. Coach isn't up to standards. You're out. We'll get somebody else in. Doesn't matter. We got people standing in the waiting lines, get trying to get in. Right. I mean, in these four four game substance abuse uh, suspensions. I mean, substance abuse could be alcohol, could be DUI, could be drugs, could be HGH. It's all kind of grouped could be under murdering the same somebody. Thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're not. Gonna, well, I, yeah. mean, I think he has a little bit more than four game. <laughs> yeah. But uh, <laughs> it's it's just interesting how it's how it's brought down from the from the suits upstairs, and I really think that. And suspending somebody four games, I'm not sure if it's with or without pay. I think it has to do with each given situation because the money – and the whole other thing is if money was all guaranteed in the NFL and major leagues it wasn't, I feel like it would make more mm-hmm. sense to have this. And with major league baseball, you get suspended 50 games and then you get paid the remainder of your contract. It doesn't make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to change. It's got to change. And well, with the NFL, if everybody's safe – other stuff kind of gets brushed under the rug. Four-game suspensions. People forget about Sean Merriman had a four-game suspension, I think it was four or five years ago, and then went to another team, got signed by another team, and then that was it. Like, nobody – it's not it's not looked at as as important as the major leagues because you can cover it up a lot easier. You can just be like, okay, it's so four-game suspension, next guy in, as you said, and as mm-hmm. Kwame always says, and then you move forward because the game is the most important thing. The higher-ups getting paid are the most important thing. The media coverage is the most important thing, not the players. Yeah, exactly. And then I think because the players are a commodity. So I'm curious, too, as as how the contracts are going to continue to change, as they always do, um, in any industry, that any time you have claims, now you put in another clause in the contract. So if we're looking at, you know, what are the long-term effects of some of the um, drugs that the players are using that may may or may not be approved. What um, are they going to be covered? You know, we've got the concussion, you know, area. Um, you know, how is that going to be handled by the NFL so that they can put um, uh, language in the contracts that the players play that yeah, we'll give you insurance for a certain period of time, but we're not going to cover that. Right. You know? No, it makes it makes a lot of sense. And the thing with the clear quote unquote mm-hmm. is what people mm-hmm. use during the Balco investigation that was undetectable. Uh, and it, that will always be a thing. That will always be an outlier. There will always be a scientist ahead of the curve of drug testing in all sports. Absolutely. And he will make There's a lot money of money. To be made. They'll make a lot of money for a couple years, and then they'll be in jail. So it just depends on how important money is to you and how important your your livelihood well, and your long, freedom is. Long term, long term. Yeah. And, and also, well, that is people don't worry about that. They don't. They're indispensable. Uh, indispensable. Indis- What's the word there. I'm looking for? I, I don't know. Okay. They they think that they invisible. Invisible. <laughs> it's another. It's another iron word. Um, anyway, that they there's nothing that can harm them. Indestructible. Well, close enough. Dang it. Okay, that, we'll move on. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to worry about it, picking on a word. But anyway, when you're you know young and bold and courageous and you're out there on the field playing, you just feel that you've got it all. You know, you're not worried about next week, next month, or. 15, 20 years from now, whenever you're losing your memory and you can't walk and your body is in such pain that uh, it's tough to get out of bed in the morning. Yeah, and I, I do think that football, more than any other sport, due to the contractual structure, is money is one of the most important things mm-hmm. because you have to make it when you're young. I mean, take well, away. And that's one thing that they look at. Yeah, I agree with you. That's one thing that they look at and say, I need to make it now so I have it for the future. But with their health, they don't look at it the same right. way. I need to protect myself now, health wise, so I actually have a future to use the money for 
to enjoy myself yeah, rather to than walk and be able to feel your, it. Yeah, feel your limbs and it, it's you know it's a very it's a double edged sword obviously and mm-hmm. it's it's what's the most important and if you're exemplary with your craft if I could play in a, if I could play football in the NFL I would you know I mean we say we say it's so tough but I, I feel like that the contract structure is just unfair yeah I feel like it's really unfair that you are and I, I've said this uh, a couple months ago that you're pretty much a car salesman you have to make numbers to keep your job you have to make numbers to get paid. You have to get a certain amount of sacks to get a bonus. You have to play a certain amount of games to get a bonus. These, and, and you're putting your life at risk every time the ball is hiked. Absolutely. So, and I just don't. I don't understand the disconnect between. The, is it just the greediness of the owners, or is it because you get hurt at any instant that the that the signing bonus that well, then a, a guaranteed the- contract is what it is? But with baseball, it's the same thing. You can sit out a game and still get paid your two hundred thousand dollars. You get paid. But then you've got you the agents in their ear too. Because the agents are looking to get paid, and they only get paid if their players paying, you know, playing, and they can negotiate a bigger, better contract on them, or uh, get, you know, get the merchandising, you know, the sponsorships and those type of things for their players. So, player, the the problem is with these players, and they're young guys coming in, uh, is they've got everybody wants something from them, including their families. I mean, my God, I've heard, you know, some of my guys they talk about they bought sister or brother or whoever a couple houses already, and mom houses and cars and stuff, and. And then, you know, if they go on a trip that the, it's supposed to be a family gathering, then everybody thinks that the player is supposed to pay their way there. And if they don't, then the family's like, well, you know, you're the one. We were there when you were little. You know, we actually spoon-fed you and all that kind of crap. I mean, it's, it's tough on these guys. They don't know where to turn, and yet they're getting the shit beat out of them every week and mm-hmm. supposed to keep coming back for more. I'm sure that things will transpire in the mm-hmm. NFL as they will in major leagues uh, mm-hmm. sooner rather than later, I would assume. This has been a very informative show. Uh, it's been think, fun. Yeah, so uh, anything else going on personal life for you? The book, you're just going to roll out the book? And the book is rolling out, and then the event this weekend that, again, people can go out on uh, Deborah Debris fan page, and there's a link out there. It's Hell Yeah X. You can watch it live stream for free. It's going to be over in L.A., actually in the Beverly Hills area. Bunch of speakers, uh, nine to nine. You can live stream it for free and uh, get a lot of really, really good uh, information and entertainment. That's awesome. And then with my Sounds of Autism charity that I am a part of, a lot of fun things coming up. Uh, stay tuned because there's a lot of great events by Cricket Barrientos and Raven L that uh, will be really, really exciting. And uh, so please, please stay tuned for that. Uh, check out my blog, alexclancyscorner.blogspot.com. Uh, I'm going to start uh, blogging more regularly, probably once or twice a week. So, so please be sure to check that out. I'm excited for football. Are you? Excited I am too. For yeah, camp is starting. My guys are flying into new places, and yeah, ready. They're they're cranked up. They're ready to go. Yeah, I have my fantasy draft already set for for what day. So that's like Christmas come early. <laughs> uh, that and it's going to be um, it's going to be an exciting fall. We have the World Cup coming next summer. There's a lot of really, really exciting things that are coming up in, in the upcoming year in sports, and I uh, I couldn't be more excited. This is when Americans start to look at football, uh, start to look at soccer. So, like from now on, everybody's gonna be paying attention to all the qualifying matches and and who's hurt, who's playing, who's uh, who's, and I believe the USA is number one in, in the world at this point. So this is uncharted territories for soccer in the United States. 
Uh, the women are going to be relevant as well. That's coming up the year after. So there's a lot of really, really exciting things coming up. I can't wait to see what happens in the NBA this year with uh, Derrick Rose coming back and LeBron James and the Miami Heat and the Lakers not being a top 15 team in the NBA and see what happens with the front office there, see if Kobe can come back, Kobe the, way, comes back right? the way he does it. and, and see. Got- Oh, I'm sorry. I was, I was going to say we got RG3 the back in football again now, right. too. Right. He so. might not be ready for the preseason, as, right. as, originally, as originally reported. You know, can Russell Wilson, RG3, Andrew Luck perform the way they did last year? Is right. this going to be a sophomore slump because all the defenses will have targets on their back? Mm-hmm. Uh, targeted yeah, they know how backs. they play now. So. I mean, it'll, will Colin Kaepernick get hurt two weeks into the year and <laughs> have them scoring themselves for for uh, letting Alex Smith go in the 49ers mm-hmm. organization? And what, will about he get those, more- what about those Cardinals? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's so sad that, that, that that's the last thing that comes to mind. Um, we will talk about that next week. Uh, we have to get out of here. Deborah Debris, Alex Clancy in studio. Kwame Lasseter Sports Talk. We will be back next week as will Kwame. It's Take been it real. Thanks for tuning in this week. Come back next Tuesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, for another edition of Kwame Lasseter Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network.